So here's what we're going to do. We've been in a series for the last three weeks called Advent, and we've been talking about three different attributes. Advent simply means waiting or this anticipation, this arrival of Jesus coming. So we've been talking about what did it look like whenever Jesus was finally born in a manger, what were we now offered? We've been through three different things. We've talked about hope, we've talked about peace, and we've talked about joy. And the thing that I want to conclude our series with is ultimately greater than any of those things. The greatest thing that God came to give ultimately is his son. It's the greatest gift, and not hope, not peace, not joy. Um, the whole purpose of Christmas can actually be summed up in one verse in the entire Bible. If you've grown up in church, or if you've just been to church one time in your life, you've probably heard this verse. It's in John three sixteen, and it simply says, God so loved the world that he what? That he gave his one and only son, and whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So here's the deal. All of Christmas, the spirit of Christmas can be wrapped up into one thing. God sent his one and only son for you and me. He gave. He gave. How many of you guys hear this? Maybe the spirit of Christmas is giving, right? How many of you guys ever heard that? The spirit of Christmas is giving. I would say in one part it is, but in the other part, if you look at the Bible, the first spirit of Christmas is not giving. First spirit of Christmas is actually receiving. Because here's the deal. You cannot give good gifts until you have been given something good yourself. And so what I want to wrap this up into this morning is that ultimately we cannot be the people that God has designed us to be and created us to be until we can freely receive the good gift that Jesus sent to us on Christmas Day over 2,000 years ago, which was his son. Romans 8 says it this way, Since God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, that we can expect that with him, God will freely give us all his gifts. So I want you to notice the logic here in this verse. If God loves us enough to send us Jesus, then he also loves us enough to take care of us. Because here's the deal. We talked about it a little bit last week, how we can so easily lose the wonder of Christmas, right? We lose the wonder of this story because it's something that we just do every single year. We get in this routine of I go to this Christmas pageant, I go to this school play, we set up the Christmas tree, we do all these things and we kind of lose the real essence of what Christmas is essentially all about. And simply what I want to talk about this morning is this. And I'm going to wrap it up into kind of four different um, ideas. But ultimately, wherever you are at on the spectrum or on the pendulum, wherever you land, wherever life has taken you, maybe you're far away from Jesus and you know it and you're sitting in here and maybe you're like, man, I'm just hoping that God speaks to me today. Or maybe you're in here today and you're saying, hey, you know what? I know Jesus, but my relationship with him has just become old. It's just become stagnant. I'm tired. I'm fed up. Honestly, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And then maybe for some of you, Maybe you have a good relationship with Jesus, but wherever you're at on this whole spectrum, I want you to know this, that over 2,000 years ago, God, this is a huge part of the gospel story, that God sent his one and only son and he gave to us. And if this would not have happened, all of life would have been completely for naught. There would have been no joy, there would have been no peace, there would have been no hope, there would have been no way to spend eternity with Jesus. Our salvation is ultimately wrapped up into a baby that was sent in a manger over 2,000 years ago. So here's what I want to talk about. What happened 
when God sent his one and only son down to earth for you and me? What began to happen? Number one is this. When you receive Jesus as your savior, four things happen. Number one is this. God gives you a new identity. He gives you a completely new identity. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but the fastest growing crime in the world is identity theft. Is identity theft. Um, I don't know if you guys remember this. About uh, a year and a half ago, um, Target had released this huge statement saying, hey, hackers hacked into our database and they stole over 40 million um, dollars worth or 40 million customers' um, credit card numbers. Guess who happened to be one of those lucky 40 million? <laughs> Me. I get a call from my bank one day, and they're saying, hey, Mr. McCann, are you in Dubai? Uh, no, I'm not in Dubai. Um, well, somebody is racking up your credit card, going to town, shopping in Dubai. Would you like us to shut that down? Uh, yes, please. And there was something that happened when I got that phone call. One, you feel violated, right? You're like, man, I have worked hard for this money, and then somebody just kind of steals my identity, steals my credit card number, and they get to go spend it on whatever they want. And chances are they'll probably never be caught. So my wife and I, what, we feel violated. We feel like, how could this happen to us? But here's the truth. I think at one point or another, maybe it's even now, all of us have had our identity stolen from us. All of us. All of us have had our identity stolen from us. Maybe someone is defining right now who you should actually be. And they're stealing that identity from you. Sometimes your identity is stolen by your friends. Maybe it's stolen by your peers, your coworkers, your boss, whoever it may be. You end up being pressured into conforming to culture rather than being who God has made you to be. If I were to ask you the question this morning, who are you? Some of you simply couldn't answer that. Because we don't know who we are anymore. We've had our identity robbed and stolen away from us. We do not know how to answer that question. So let me ask you another personal question. Where do you get your identity from? Where do you get it from? And let's kind of diagnose this just a little bit. So when somebody, I think most people get their identity from one of three things. They get it from work, they get it from relationships, and they get it from things. How many of you guys have ever been asked this question? Um, when people say to you, who are you, or what do you do, they, 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 then your answer is usually, well, I'm an accountant, or I work in the oil field, I work with numbers, or I'm a teacher, I work with kids, I do this or that. And here's the deal. That's what you do, not who you are. That's what you do, that's not who you are. But the, the sad part of this is, is mo- many people wrap their identity in what they do and not necessarily who they are. Maybe some of us get our identity from uh, relationships. Maybe you say, well, I'm a mom. I'm a father. I'm a, I'm a husband. I'm a dad. Or maybe some of us wrap our identity in things. Um, you would say, this is my house. This is what I own. This is what I've worked hard for. These are my possessions. This is my car. This is my bank account. Things that you collect and things that you find your identity in. And this is what I want to do this morning, talking specifically about this point. As a pastor that genuinely loves you and is concerned for you, this is what I want to tell you this morning. Don't ever wrap your identity in something that can be taken away from you. Because when it gets taken away from you, who are you? You don't know who you are anymore. I've seen guys, um, man, just stunning athletes. 
Okay, so in school, they had an arm, they were able to run, they were able to throw a ball, and then what happens? You get older. (laughs) Your back, your bum back begins to fail you. Your arm doesn't work so well anymore. Your hand-eye coordination is not what it used to be, and you have these guys who found their identity and their worth and how their abilities and where their gifts could take them, and now they don't even know who they are anymore because they don't have that ability anymore. Some people wrap their ability in, in their work. Like, I'm just a hard, good worker. And nobody can work circles around me because I'm always going to be the first one there, the last one to leave, the first one to do this, the last one to do this. Well, in this economy, what happens when you lose your job? Your identity ultimately is taken away from you. Let's get even a little bit more personal. Some of us wrap our identity in our friendships or our marriages or our relationships. And what happens, just what happens if that person goes to be with Jesus tomorrow? I'm not trying to be grim. I'm not trying to be crude. But ultimately, and you live 30 more years. I've seen it where people are not rooted. They don't find their identity in how much Jesus actually loves them. They find it in their relationships. They find it in their stuff. And that stuff gets removed from them. And they don't know who they are anymore. And it's this downward spiral trying to figure out what do I do? Who am I? So if you build your identity on a career and you lose your job and you get laid off, who are you? What is your identity? You build your identity on something that can be taken from you. Ultimately, at the end of the day, you're going to lose your identity. So so what am I saying here? The only thing that cannot be taken away from you is God's unconditional love for you. God's unconditional love. He loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to be in the most vulnerable form, a baby, over 2,000 years ago to bridge this gap for me and for you. And that is the only thing that can never be taken away from you. Never be taken away from you. Second Corinthians puts it this way. When someone accepts Christ, he becomes a brand new person inside. He is not the same anymore. And then watch this. A new life has begun. A brand new life has begun. Jesus ultimately calls it being born again. He said it's like getting a fresh start. You get a completely brand new life. So what does this mean? Does this mean that ultimately when you accept Jesus that you uh, like achieve perfection? That ultimately you don't have any problems anymore? No, it doesn't mean that at all. Here's what it means. It means that whatever your life was before, your past no longer is what you wrap your identity in. This is the best news about the gospel is that whatever you've done and all the mistakes that you've made, the guilt and the shame that you carry right now in this very moment, the second that you make a decision to follow Jesus, he gives you a brand new identity and he says, you know what, all those things that you've been defining yourself by, maybe it was a torn up relationship, maybe it was a failed marriage, maybe it was a kid that didn't follow Jesus, maybe it was a job that didn't come through, maybe it was a house that got foreclosed on or finances didn't go how you wanted them to go. Your identity is not wrapped up in that anymore. When you choose to follow Jesus, it's in his unconditional love for you and for me. See, I find as a pastor, one of the biggest mistakes, and I find myself doing this, one of the biggest mistakes that we make is we let our failures define us. Ultimately, we find our identity in the mistakes that we've made. So 
We don't think that we're worthy. We don't think we're worth anything. We don't think we're um, worthy of being forgiven. Or we don't think that God could ever really forgive us because our identity is wrapped up in the mistakes that we've made. We let our fears define us. We let our mistakes define us. We let our sins and our struggles define us. And here's the most beautiful thing about the gospel. You are not your sin, and you are not your struggle. Your identity is wrapped up in an unconditional God who no matter what you have done will love you anyway and forgive you anyway. This is the most beautiful truth about Jesus. Ultimately, when you receive Jesus, you become a child of God. And here's the thing. That's your identity. That's your identity. Picture it this way. I have a little girl who's three years old, and she is frightened to death of the dark. Uh, I, we wake up, I'll wake up at sometimes two, three o'clock in the morning to go to the bathroom, and I'll pass by her room, and her light is on in her room. She knows how to turn on her light, so if she gets scared, instead of coming waking mom and dad up, she's just like, I'm going to sleep with the light on. But there's this amazing thing that happens It's pretty incredible, and you see this with most of your kids. The room could be pitch black, and as long as she is holding my hand, she's fine. She is totally fine. Watch. She is totally secure. Hey, dad's with me, and if anything happens, dad's got it, right? Although dad is probably pretty scared too. (laughs) Um, But she doesn't know that. She has no clue. She doesn't know what my fears are. She doesn't know any of that. She just knows, Dad's got my hand. If anything comes at me, I'm totally taken care of. I'm going to hide behind Dad. And here's the deal. This is what I love about Jesus. If your identity is wrapped up into Jesus, you can walk in the most darkest moments of your life. And you can be scared out of your mind. But as long as Jesus is with you, your identity is secure. Your identity is secure no matter how dark times may get. So here's the deal. The starting point of a new identity is this. Stop seeing yourself the way everybody else sees you. Stop seeing yourself the way everybody else sees you. And here's what you've got to work hard at. You've got to start seeing yourself the way that Jesus sees you. He sees you as a son and he sees you as a daughter. If you're a parent in here, how do you see your children? They can make all the mistakes in the world, and you love them to death. Like, you love them so much. It doesn't matter what they do. You're going to fight for them. You're going to do whatever you can for them. Why? Because they're your kids. God is the same way. You've got to stop listening to the lies of the world, and you've got to start listening to the truth of God. This is why reading the Bible is so important. See, it's so easy to believe lies because our culture is filled with it. Filled with all kinds of lies of what you should be or what you shouldn't be or where you should find your identity in. We've got to go to truth, which ultimately is God's word. How many of you growing up, um, you don't have to raise your hand, but maybe you think about it. Growing up, you heard a lot of lies. Maybe growing up, you had a lot of lies spoken of you, over you. Hey, you're, you're never going to be good enough. Or maybe you believe the lie of, man, your parents were in poverty, so you just believe, hey, you know what, for the rest of my life, I'm going to be in poverty. Man, my my dad was never a good dad, so you know what, I I don't know how to be a good dad, so I'll never be a good dad. And that bleeds into your marriage. Or man, my dad didn't raise me well, so you know what, I, I don't really know what to do with my kids. And we ultimately just end up believing this lie. 
Maybe you believe the lie of, man, I'm not good looking enough. I'm not good looking enough. Maybe I don't have enough talent. I don't have the gifts. I don't have the abilities. See, when we do this, here's what we're doing. We're believing a lie. Our identity is wrapped up in our relationships. It's wrapped up in our giftings. It's wrapped up in our things. It's not wrapped up in Jesus. Because if you begin to read the Bible and you begin to read what Jesus actually says about you, he says, you are forgivable. You are lovable. You are valuable. So the first thing that we need for transformation is a new identity. The first thing we need is a new identity. Now, the second thing that we need, and this is point number two, God gives me a new ability. God gives me a new ability. So not only does he give me a new identity, he gives me a new ability. So now you're not only depending just on your willpower to change, now you actually have power to change. This is the Holy Spirit. Okay, so you ever, anybody ever tried to do anything like in sheer willpower and it lasts for about like a whole two weeks? Maybe you tell yourself every new year, like, I am not going to eat that candy. And then like two weeks, you're like, look, I need to make up for all the two weeks I haven't eaten anything. You just have this day where it's just like this downward spiral. <laughs> like you come home and your wife's sitting on the couch crying with chocolate all over. She's like, I couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> it's willpower. Maybe, here's the thing, maybe you've tried so hard to change the things you just can't change about yourself. Maybe you get so frustrated with yourself, so angry with yourself, because you've been trying to change for a long time. And here's the deal. You cannot change yourself on your own. It's the whole reason that God looked down upon the world and said, you know what? I need to send my son. Because here's the deal. If we could have done, if we could have did it, we would have done it already, right? If we could have changed ourselves, we would have been there already. We all know that willpower does not work. You eventually get tired of trying and you give up. You don't need willpower. You need a new ability. Ultimately, you need the Holy Spirit. You need God to help transform your life. Romans 5.5 puts it this way. God has poured out his love into our hearts by means of the Holy Spirit, who is God's gift to us. So yet again, here's this reoccurring theme. God is giving something to us. Then in Philippians 2.13, it says, Now God works in you by giving you both the desire, and watch this, the ability to fulfill his good purpose for you. You know what the problem is with you and me? Is we know the right things to do. We just don't have the power to do it. <laughs> like, I am absolutely convinced in America as Christians, if you follow Jesus, even if you don't, that most of us know what we should do. We just don't possess the ability to be able to do it. Like, we know what we're doing is wrong. We just don't know how to change. And here's the thing. You cannot do it on your own. You need Jesus. You need the Holy Spirit. We have the desire, but we don't have the ability. So how is this going to happen? Here's the deal. We've got to start trusting rather than trying. We've got to start trusting rather than trying. Trusting that God can actually do what he says he's going to do rather than us trying to do it on our own. See, I'm convinced that most of us, including myself at times, have a trust problem. 
the reason that we don't live out this God-given purpose in life to the fullest many times is not because we don't know the right things to do. It's simply because we don't trust God. Maybe we walk through some dark moments and you let go of God. It's like, God, I, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. I got to get out of here. And we kind of muster up our own willpower. And we feel like we got to do it on our own. But ultimately, at the end of the day, Christ's love is what changes us. And the more I'm filled with God's love, the more power I have to change. The more you begin to reflect on the Christmas story, the more that the Holy Spirit is going to live inside of you. So not only does God want to give you a new identity, not only does he want to give you a new ability, he also wants to give you, number three, a new community. He wants to give you a new community. This is my favorite. This is my favorite. One of the things that I love about the family and the community of God is the specific way that he has designed it. That he's designed it for us to not be able to do it on our own. That we need each other. God says, I'm going to give you a family. You know, I'm not naive to the fact that there's probably many of you in here that maybe did not have a good family. You didn't have a good upbringing. You didn't have a a mom or a dad that showed you the love that you needed as a child. Maybe you're left to fend on your own. Maybe you had to grow up really quickly. Maybe at 13 or 14, you were like taking care of yourself. Whatever it may be. The thing that I love about spiritual family, the thing that I love about Jesus, if we understand how to do it correctly, when we, as soon as we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he puts us into a family. The Bible uses the language he actually adopts us into the family. God says, hey, listen, you weren't meant to do life alone. You never were. You were meant to know God and have a family around you to support you. How many of you, show of hands, have done the stupidest things in your life when you have other people egging you on? (laughs) How many of you have also done the greatest things in your life when you have other people egging you on? Right? Listen, a church family is the same way. You will never grow beyond the point that you're at right now until you dive in the community. Never will. You'll never grow beyond the point that you are at right now, and get this, until somebody else knows your deepest, darkest secrets. You'll never get past your secrets, ever. I've seen it in my own life. The longer that I want to hold on to something, the longer that I want to keep it to myself, what am I doing? It's what I said earlier. I'm trying on my own rather than trusting God's perfect plan for my life. Because God, if I reveal this, people are going to see me in this other light. My wife reminds me over and over now, um, uh, any, I don't know if you're like me in here, but when I get in a car, <laughs> I become a different person. <laughs> like, I get behind that wheel, and like, uh, it's almost like I'm playing a video game, like five points if I can cut you off, you know, like, like one of those things. I give them the friendly wave. No, not really, but um, I saw some of you last week. Uh, my wife reminds me all the time, she's like, you were a pastor. You cannot drive like this. It's like, nobody knows it's me. She's like, you have a sticker on the back of your car. Like, dang it. <laughs> Ultimately, at the end of the day, all of us have our secrets. We all have our shortcomings. We all have our flaws. Maybe many of you like me when you get in the car. Whatever it is. But if, if we're being honest, we're being brutally honest, I think the thing that I just shared is really light. 
I think some of us have like some deep hurts that we've never dealt with, some deep pain that we've never walked through. And, And the truth is we don't really know how to deal with it, and that's okay. We don't know what to do. We don't, we don't know how to bring it out. We don't know how to say it. And here's the thing that I want to challenge you in this morning is just start trusting God's plan for your life rather than your own. And he'll show you the way. He'll show you the way. Start investing yourself. If you call this your home, if you call this your church, invest yourself into here. Get to know some of the people around here. Begin to do life with them. Accept it as a family. We always change better in a group than we do on our own. It's a proven fact. Ephesians 1 says it this way. Because of his love, God's unchanging plan has always been, watch this, to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. So Jesus brings us to himself through family. That's how he does it. So some of you are stuck right now is because you're doing it on your own. The reason you're stuck, the reason you can't move beyond that point is because you're doing it by yourself. I believe that God says this, I don't want you to just believe in me, I want you to be a part of a family. I want you to be a part of a family. This is important. If you don't get anything else that I say this morning, I want you to get this, burn this in your brain. It's not just enough to believe in Jesus, you have to belong to his family. You have to belong to his family. God wants you and every single person in this room to receive the free gift that he offers, which is salvation. And when you receive that gift, you get community. When you receive that gift, you get a family that will help you change and make decisions that you could never make and help you find solutions that you can never make on your own. So here's the question. What is family? What is, what is genuine family? The Bible says it this way. And I know that we've kind of had this verbiage ever since we started that we've encouraged people to be a part of a family, get involved in the church family, and people are like, what is that? Here's what the Bible says. Watch this. The family is the church of the living God. The family, this is 1 Timothy 3, the family is the church of the living God. So before I read the rest of that, what is the family? It's the church, the church of the living God. Listen, the church, it's not a business, it's not an organization, it's not a club, it is a spiritual family, a spiritual family. This is why we say this phrase over and over and over and over again. When we say welcome home, because there's people in here that don't have a family. There's people in here that, honestly, they had a bad upbringing. There's people in here that had a great upbringing, but they still don't have a church family. Like when you're struggling, when you're dealing, what do I do? God designed the church to be a family where we love each other, support each other, and care for each other. So let's continue the verse. The family is the church of the living God. And now watch this. This is huge. The support and foundation of the truth. The family is the church of the living God. And at the end of the day, it is the support and the foundation of the of the truth. See, I'm absolutely convinced that most people do not understand the importance of being a part of a church family. I've said, you've heard me say this a thousand times, that, that ultimately at the end of the day, that Sunday is not about just checking off the list saying, I went to church. You know, I did it. 
Like some of you are probably here this morning because your wife was like, please, you always come to church on Christmas. You're like, all right, I'll go. It's Christmas. <laughs> I'll just call the elephant out in the room right now. Some of you are here because you're like, it's Christmas and I'll come. I'll do my one year thing. I, listen, I'm not here to condemn you. If, if, that's a, if that's you and you're skeptical about things, hey, look, you're still welcome here. But I also want to tell you this. You're missing out. Man, you're totally missing out. Because that life that you're struggling with right now, those, that hopelessness, that, those addictions or those desires that you've been trying to just crack and beat on your own, man, a lot of that can get resolved in family. It's not enough to say, I believe in Jesus. You need family. If we're going back to 1 Timothy, if you don't have a church family, then what is your foundation? What is your support? Ultimately, your foundation or your support is what you're pulling your identity from. Your foundation and your support is the guys at work. Your foundation at work is some buddies that maybe you hang out with on the weekend. That's your foundation if that's your support. We're better together. We need each other. We compensate each other. I said it earlier. Maybe you don't have a church family this morning. Maybe you're visiting. But I can promise you this. This will not be a perfect place, but it will be a place where we point you to Jesus, we will love you, we will welcome you home, and we will own up to our mistakes. And so here's the deal. I just want to lovingly encourage you and invite you. If you're not a part of a family, then we want to welcome you today to be a part of a family. To be a part of a church family that will love you, that will support you, and that will encourage you. And let me say this again. We will not be perfect We will not be perfect, but at the end of the day, we are better together. We're better together. Galatians says it this way. In Christ's family, there are no divisions between Jew and non-Jew or slave or free or male and female. Instead, we're all equal in a common relationship with Jesus Christ. So what is he saying right here? He's saying this. The church is not based on race or past history. It is based on the fact that you are loved by Jesus That's what the church is based on. Listen, it doesn't really matter what church background you've come from. I don't care if you came from a Catholic church, a Methodist church, a Baptist church, a Mormon church, whatever. Here's At the end of the day, Jesus did not come to give us religion. He came to give us a relationship with himself. That's what he came to give us. So it does not matter what the background is. Because here's what you're going to have to come face to face with. One day we're all going to die and we're all going to go to heaven and there's going to be a whole lot of different color and backgrounds there. So we've got to put our prejudice aside. Or Excuse me. I, I have this question all the time. When, yeah, I'm a pastor in town. Well, what, you guys Baptist? <laughs> you guys, like, it doesn't matter what we are. As long as we love Jesus, that's all that should matter. That's all that should matter. As long as we have a relationship with Jesus. And ultimately, at the end of the day, we want our church to look a little bit like heaven, don't we? So that means we've got to mix it up a little bit. <laughs> it means we've got to mix it up a little bit. So God came to give us a new identity. He came to give us a new ability. He came to give us new community, which is family. But there's one more thing. And this one thing that he came to give us will never leave, ever. Number four, God gives me a new destiny. God gives me a new destiny. When I accept Jesus Christ in my life, I get a new destiny. 
See, some, ki- some gifts don't last, right? I remember as a kid on Christmas Day, I would beg and beg and beg. I remember still to this day, um, it, it was a huge toy back in the day, back in like the 90s. I think I was in kindergarten. And I begged my parents. It was this Batmobile about this big. And you would press this button and it would shoot out this arrow. For some reason, I was like obsessed with this thing. I had researched all the Batmobiles and this was the one I wanted. And... Um, I remember finally Christmas Day comes, and I tear this gift open, and it's the Batmobile. It's like this, like, I see, like, lights coming as I tear open the paper. It's like, oh, the Batmobile. And I'm tearing this thing open. I'm playing with it. I'm having a great time with it. And I'm playing with it in my driveway. And my dad gets in his truck, backs up, crushes it crushes like as as a as an eight-year-old all my dreams all my hopes like dashed as he runs over the batmobile and maybe you're a parent maybe you understand what i'm talking about your kids begged and begged and begged for this present they finally get it they finally open it they finally play with it and then by 12 o'clock noon it's broken anybody know what i'm talking about and they resort to playing with the box (laughs) like coloring on the box and you just spent a fortune on that toy and now it's broken and now they're playing with the cardboard But here's the deal. God says he has a gift that is going to last forever. But he's going to give us a new destiny. First Peter puts it this way. God has reserved for his children the priceless gift of eternal life. It is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. Romans 6 puts it this way. The free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So here's the thing. You don't earn your way into heaven. You don't buy your way into heaven. You don't bribe your way into heaven. You don't talk your way into heaven. You don't pay Peter at the gate when you get into heaven. None of those things work. It's simply a free gift and you got to receive it. Because remember this, we talked about this two weeks ago. Jesus didn't save you because you were so good. Jesus actually saved you because he was good. Jesus saved you despite you. Like, it doesn't matter. This is the most beautiful thing about the gospel. It doesn't matter what you've done. He doesn't save you because you were just that good. He saves you because he sent his son, his one and only son, to reconcile all of humanity, to bridge the gap for me and for for you. That huge chasm that we could not cross. He sends a baby that 33 years later would die on a cross. Rise from the grave on the third day. Leave behind the Holy Spirit for us to give us a new ability, to give us family, to give us a new identity, to give us a new destiny. Matthew 7, 11, I love this verse. If you, though imperfect and sinful, how many of you, that's you. If you, though imperfect and sinful, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So if we can love our kids enough to give them the best Christmas that we possibly can, and we are flawed, imperfect beings, how good of a gift will the Father give us if he is completely perfect? It's a perfect gift. It's a gift that lasts forever. Ultimately, at the end of the day, everything in your life is a gift. 
How many of you guys woke up this morning? You're here, <laughs> so you did. And the sun is a gift. The clouds are a gift. The very air that you breathe is a gift. But at the end of the day, none of it compares to eternity. None of it compares to eternity. So let me summarize all of this. God says, I sent the very first Christmas gift, my son, to die so that ultimately you could go to heaven if you receive this free gift. I'm going to give you a new identity. I'm going to give you a new ability to change the things you want to change and can't change on your own. I'm going to give you a new community. It's called my church. I want you to be a part of a family. I'm going to give you a new destiny. This is eternity with Jesus. Now here's the question. Where else in the world are you going to get any of that? There's only one person that you get that from, and that's Jesus. That's Jesus. This is ultimately why it's called the greatest gift that you will ever receive. Ever. I've said this before. Um, I grew up, a little bit of my story, I grew up in a pastor's home. My dad's still a pastor today. And um, I had a great upbringing, a great family, but there was a, probably a season in my life um, funny enough, when I was actually going off to Bible college that I started to kind of doubt God a little bit. Not doubt his existence, not doubt that he was real or or any of that stuff, but doubted that he could actually help me. Because I had so much guilt and shame about certain things that I had done. I didn't really fully understand the whole picture of the gospel that God freely gave to me so that there could be forgiveness, so that guilt and shame could be removed away from me this morning. So I want to do this this morning. I I don't know where you've come from, what your background looks like, what your history looks like, what your family looks like. But I do know this. You're here for a very specific reason because God wants to give you something this morning. He wants to give you freedom. He wants to remove that guilt and that shame away from you this morning. You know that past that you've been allowing to define you? He wants to give you a complete, fresh start, like a do-over, a complete do-over. So I want to do this, just every head bowed, every eye closed in here. And I want you to just take your hands and just extend them out like this, like you're receiving something this morning. Father, we come to you. God, we know that there's issues that we have, that there's doubts that we have. There's certain parts of our life maybe we don't trust you fully with. God, maybe it's finances, maybe it's relationships. God, maybe we're just tired. Maybe life's beat us up a little bit. God, whatever it is, God, I pray that this morning that we would receive your free gift. God, a freedom of salvation. God, as we extend our hands to heaven this morning, God, as we wait upon you, God, I pray that you would meet us here. I want you guys to just do this, just for maybe a minute or so. Just as the music plays. I want you to take a deep look inside of your heart. And say, God, is there anything holding me back from experiencing and encountering the fullness that you have for me? 
Maybe you're in here this morning and you don't know Jesus. So maybe you're going to pray this prayer for the first time. And this is all I want you to say. God, meet with me this morning. So I want you to just take a minute. Just evaluate your heart. Maybe some of us need to ask for forgiveness.